Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I've been praying for you. I don't care who you are. Whenever you see that or hear that, uh, it just it just gives you sometimes the second wind that you need that, you know, me and God, we got this and it's going to be all right. And so uh, we want to be that to people along the journey. With that being said, folks, it'll take a little bit of time to get through all the families. So please no one get discouraged or upset or irate if you're not the next family. We're going to get to you. We're no man left behind in this prayer thing, all right? Uh, but uh, we'll get to you, uh, each and every one, however long it takes, year, two years, whatever. Amen. We'll be sure to do that. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Amen. Thank you for being in God's house tonight. Amen. Exodus chapter 13 in verse number 3. We're going to look at that. Amen. Here this evening. Um, if I'm not mistaken, of course... Uh, Last week, we were gone, right? And so, as a matter of fact, with that being the case and the other one services that we had in the AEMs, uh, it's been a few weeks since I've preached on a Sunday night. It's been a few weeks since I've preached on a Sunday night for all those things in alignment. So, uh, Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 3. That is, it's been a few weeks since I preached here on a Sunday night. We'll even say that. All right. Amen. The Bible says... And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, the Mosquito Bites, just seeing if he's paying attention, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey that thou shalt keep his ser- this service in this month, seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. So it's reiterating this. And there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Thou shalt shew thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. Amen. The help of the Lord tonight, I want to talk to us tonight about one answer. One answer. One answer. Amen. Will you help me pray tonight that the Lord's will would be done? Father, we need your will to be done here this evening. God, I lean upon you, O Lord. 
God, it's not in us, Lord, to direct our own paths, our own ways. God, I pray, O oh Lord, paths, God, that we would follow would lead to destruction. But God, the path, Lord, that you have ordained for us, Lord, leads to everlasting life. I pray, God, that you're able to help us tonight. Open our minds to understanding. I pray, God, for a spirit of enlightenment. God, upon our hearts and our souls as we turn our attention to the word of the Lord. God, let something, Lord, be done. God, it be profitable, Lord God, for us this evening. God, through your word, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen of the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. feel like my objective this evening is to tell you that I'm going to answer several questions tonight and all of these very questions that sometimes people harbor in their mind and their heart or even questions that people address you with and question you with I'm going to answer them all tonight it's going to be a lengthy service right I'm going to answer all those questions that come to you from people that maybe are not a part of, quote-unquote, the church or any type of religious worldview or viewpoint. I'm going to answer all these several questions tonight with one answer. At times, there can be a litany of questions that come uh, to us from outsiders or even sometimes from those that are on the inside of the church walls. Questions about why we do certain things. Why do you go to church all the time? Why do you clap your hands? Why do women keep their hair uncut? Why do you hold a certain level of modesty and a distinction of the sexes? Maybe you've had some of these. Why do you avoid some settings? Why do you save yourself for marriage? And there are several others that you could put with those, Brother Fred, probably in your lifetime of being a Christian that have come to you, lists that have been given to you, questions that you have been penetrated with, and people are investigating all of the whys. There are certain areas of the Bible that we could go to and we could turn to several pages and we could spend time tonight going to the various ages, the various pages of Scripture and answering each of those questions that I just mentioned to you and perhaps even more that you have in your head. However, there is an overarching answer that is fitting to all these questions. I know it may seem a little peculiar, but there is an overarching answer to all of these questions. It is the heart of every answer we would point to in the various sections of Scripture. We could go to the different places of Scripture and say, this is why we clap our hands, or this is why we attend each service. We could give those answers from Scripture, but this one answer that I am telling you about tonight is the overarching answer to every question. Uh, if you were to find the answer in such and such book, in such and such chapter, in such and such verse, still the answer I'm going to give to you would be the heart of that answer. It would be the very nucleus of that answer. It is, if you will, a one-size-fits-all answer. It's a valid answer. It's an appropriate answer. It's a proper answer. It is the driving force and the spirit behind why we do what we do when we do it. 
This answer is the platform uh, for each of the Ten Commandments that was given in the Old Testament law. This answer is the basis for every thou shalt and every thou shalt not that is written in the word of the Lord. This answer inspired the exclusive devotion of the nation of Israel to the Lord Jesus Christ. This answer in reality can be found in verse number 8 of my reading tonight. If I may read from the New International Version, it says, On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Other translations say, it is because of what the Lord did for me. Others say, this is done because of which the Lord hath done for me. The PRMJ translation, that's mine, is this. We do what we do because he did what he did. We do what we do because he did what he did. When I read and begin to take my fingers through the pages of the book of Exodus, you don't have to go very far until you understand that Exodus is the story of salvation. Exodus is the story of redemption. More importantly, it's the story of redeeming a people that could not redeem themselves. The Bible tells us very plainly that Israel could not get herself out of Egypt. I guarantee you this, that if Israel could get herself out of Egypt, she would have done it before the 430-year mark. If Israel could somehow make a way, a breach in the wall, get out from under the hard whips and the taskmasters that they were under, she would have may have done it probably before the time came of her deliverance. Exodus 13 and 3 says this, It was for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Other translations say it like this, The Lord brought you out of it. Israel couldn't do it, but the Lord brought them out of being in an environment of flesh pots and bondage and incarceration. The Lord brought them out. And know this, therefore, that the Lord provided a plan for Israel to come out of bondage. And Israel's obedience to the plan secured their safety and their deliverance. It's not just it was a thus and so, but God was like this. This is how we're going to get you out of where you are. But it's going to require your obedience to the plan to bring you to safety, to bring you on the other side of your mayhem. Israel had to get tired. Listen to me well. Israel had to get tired of the slavery that she was in. Israel had to, if you will, get uncomfortable with where she was living. Israel had to get, if you will, just a little bit overwhelmed and dissatisfied with her present living conditions. The Bible says in Exodus 2 and verse 23, it says the children of Israel Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God. In other words, they finally reached a point in their bondage that they began to groan and moan about their slavery until that provoked them to the place that they cried out. They cried out to God for help and that cry went to the Lord. They had to get to a place that it was no longer suitable to be as they were. Amen. Brother Malone, they could
could have cried out a hundred years sooner. But somehow or another at this moment in time, because of reason of their slavery, they groaned and they cried out to God. And so God puts a plan in place. God puts a plan in place through Moses. He puts a plan in place, amen, all the way seeing through all ten plagues into the tenth of the dying of the firstborn of the Egyptians. He put a plan in place for their deliverance, amen. And that plan ultimately found in the tenth plague of the slaughtering of the firstborn of Egypt, amen, put a mark of distinction upon his people and those that were not his people. We know that whenever the Passover lamb was slain, that the Bible says that the blood of the slain lamb could be found upon the lintel and upon the door house, doorpost of the houses of the Israelites. There was a mark of distinction upon their households compared to the households of Egypt. And that mark of distinction was the covering of the blood. Someone say amen. From that first Passover forward. I got a point tonight. From that first Passover forward. It was the responsibility and obligation of the parents. That they would explain to their children. The meaning of these feasts that were kept. Because after Passover, God made it an ordinance. God made it a memorial that would be kept for every generation. That they, at this certain time of the year, they would again slay a lamb and eat a lamb. They would again honor all these things of the meal that they had on that eve of their deliverance from Egypt. And he was going to do this year by year. The generation after generation, this ordinance, this, this memorial was going to be made. And they were going to honor this and celebrate this. And it was the responsibility of the parent, their obligation to share with their children and share with their household. Not only this Passover meal, they weren't only just to have this among their family and not only were they supposed to eat of the meat that was provided by this meal, but the meal was also to be a means by which they would explain what this meal was all about. They would explain why these things came to be as they were. This feast that they would observe, it was more than just a ritual that they practiced in their life. It was a way that they passed something very significant to their children, remembering how God saved people or how God continues to save people. Some forgot. That is the problem of Old Testament writ. Some forgot about how God brought them out. Some had forgot and did not rehearse it within the ears of their children. How God brought them from a place of bondage. There were periods in the Old Testament history that the nation of Israel did not, and I say this again, did not observe the Passover, though it was to be observed year by year. They did not observe the feast of unleavened bread, but it's imperative for us that we remember, amen, how God delivered and that we pass it on to our children how God delivers. Think here, here's how important it is. Joshua and Caleb that we know of were the only ones left of their generation, right? The 10 other spies, they died in the moment they brought back, amen, the evil report. And the Bible says those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness claimed the lives of all those others of that generation. So there were only Joshua and Caleb that was 
still alive, if you will, of that generation. An entire generation was lost in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. And almost, look at this well in the book of Joshua, almost the first thing that he did when they entered the promised land, almost the first thing he did was to celebrate Passover because for years in the wandering of the wilderness, it wasn't celebrated. But one from the old generation celebrated it at this moment and subsequently that of unleavened bread. Why? Because he had a generation up and coming. They needed to know what they were delivered out of. They need to know how they were delivered. They need to know it required blood. They need to, yes, yes. It was so important that if Joshua kept his mouth shut, there would be a whole generation lost to what their deliverance meant. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. But tonight I want to hone in on something here just a little bit. There are really two different but somewhat overlapping feasts mentioned here in Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 13. There is the feast of Passover that we are probably better acquainted with than the other. But there is the feast of Passover. But there is also the feast of unleavened bread. You cannot equate that one is the other. A lot of people fall prey to that and say, well, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, the Feast of Passover. It's not that they are one and the same. It's just that there's a little bit of overlapping of the two. There's the Feast of Passover and there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Both, yes, needed to be observed. And both, yes, needed to be remembered. With Passover, we remember what God did for us. But with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we remember why we do what we do. Stay here with me a little bit. Because unleavened bread is tied to Passover. What I'm saying is this. Passover really facilitates, brings about, allows, causes the feast of unleavened bread. Let's talk about the Passover because most of us, I would probably say, here this evening are familiar with Passover. We know about a lamb, each lamb for a household. We know about the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. We know about the eating of the lamb within the home. And if you had more lamb than you had people eating, then you invited your neighbor over because none of the lamb was to be wasted. We know about the death angel that would pass by around the midnight hour amen and it would pass over the houses that had the blood upon the homes we know about the death of all the firstborn of Egypt of both man the Bible says and we leave out sometimes and be all the firstborn of man and beast. And we know that whenever that night came and that deed was done, the Bible says there was a great cry that went out all throughout Egypt. Such a cry that had not even been in the land any time prior to this moment, resulting from it all. But what we fail to realize is that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is because there was a Passover. Someone say amen. There are many texts in the Bible that mentions leaven. We're talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's many texts in the Bible that talk about leaven or, if you will, something you might be more suitable or familiar with, yeast. Yeast is leaven. Sometimes in God's Word, those Bible texts will talk about leaven 
or yeast in a very literal sense. But there are other times, perhaps more times than not, that it is spoken of with some symbolic connotations when it talks about yeast or leaven. Leaven throughout God's word was a representative of sin. Leavened bread was fermented and it implied then a process of corruption Leaven. According to the law, the Bible says in Leviticus that no grain offerings could be made with leaven. It says that no yeast could be burned on the altar of sacrifice in any sacrifice. It could not be included. In the New Testament scripture, Jesus is teaching and speaking to his disciples. He's telling them to beware, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're thinking they he is talking about literal bread because there's just been the, 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 the one of the miracles of the multiplying and the feeding and him speaking about being the bread of life he they think he's talking about literal bread but there's other places in the harmony of the gospels that give proof what he was talking about was the false teaching and the false doctrine of the scribes and pharisees he was relating or equalizing their false teachings and their false doctrine to leaven and so he said beware of the leaven or the false teaching and the false doctrines of the pharisees he said to beware of it paul in the new testament scripture in the epistle the Bible says that he warned the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth had went through a season and a mode of tolerating a sin. The Bible says that there were reports that were commonly coming among them that there was a man there that was given to sexual immorality. There was a man there that was committing fornication there in the church at Corinth. He says, I want to warn you about this. And with that in mind, Paul said these words, a little he said, leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, you get a little leaven or a little yeast in any dough, and it's going to begin to puff up. It's going to begin to get larger. It's going to permeate. It's going to affect everything it comes in contact with. It don't have to be a bunch. Yes, even a little will start to affect everything it comes in contact with. He was telling the church at Corinth, you cannot tolerate the sin of this that's practicing immorality because a little leaven. You allow that into the church and it's going to spread like wildfire to every other member, every other crevice, every other program, every other committee. It's going to take over because a little leaven, leaven of the whole loaf, the whole lump. Leaven affects everything it comes in contact with. Someone say amen. And so this, this event of the feast of unleavened bread is really triggered by the Passover. Listen to me now. The Bible says in Exodus 12 and verse 34, and the people took their dough, and it's not talking about their money. <laughs> the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Let me just give a little background here. What is being described is this. The tenth plague has come. The angel has passed by. The deaf angel has already noticed what houses had the blood, what houses had not. It's entered those that had not the blood. The firstborn of families from Pharaoh himself down to Pharaoh's servant and Pharaoh's livestock of firstborn are dead. There's the moaning and groaning. What I'm saying is Passover had taken place. And as a result, Pharaoh says, you guys get out of here. 
You've been asking to go. I'm showing you the door. You go on and get out of here. And so what happened was there was so much haste and quickness in their deliverance that they began to gather their kneading troughs and they grabbed their dough before it had a chance even to be leavened. And they went out their homes. Look at verse 39 of this same chapter. Exodus 12, 39. And they baked unleavened, unleavened cakes of the dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt. For it was not leavened. It wasn't corrupted. It wasn't contaminated. If it's a symbol of sin, it didn't have that in it. Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Hey Amen. Can I tell you tonight that part of the feast, you can read it in your Bible, but part of the feast of unleavened bread was observed by eating unleavened bread for seven days following Passover. You had Passover, and then boom, the feast of unleavened bread followed that, and it was seven days of eating unleavened bread. As a matter of fact, they celebrated this. Nothing could have yeast in it. Again, yeast was regarded as sin typically in the Scripture. The Bible even teaches, amen, and Jewish heritage even teaches that they would sweep their houses of any leaven. It was an act of sanctification. It was an act of not allowing any part of leaven, that sin-corrupting substance in their life. This refraining from the yeast happened after their deliverance. This refraining from the yeast happened after their deliverance. Again, because they left so quickly and it was in haste. They didn't have time for the bread to rise in their kneading troughs. Now look, this is the scripture in Exodus 13 that I read to you tonight in verse 7. He tells them, he's talking to them about the feast of unleavened bread. He said, for seven days you will not eat leaven. What are they doing? They're observing this feast as a memorial just as they would observe the feast of Passover they are observing the feast of unleavened bread amen and they are they are observing this as a memorial and he tells them he said there shall be no leaven amen bread seen with thee so this is how we're going to observe this you're not to have any leavened bread with thee he goes on and says you're not to be seen with any leavened bread in the, your quarters I'm not talking about the change in your pocket. He said it's not going to be found in your house either. This is the background then. Listen to me here. This is the background. This is the context of verse number 8. And the Bible says, In that day, this man's about ready to talk to his son. Because all these things are not just observed as a ritual. They are, they are proclaiming, they are carrying over some type of meaning. Right? He says, in that day, what day? Well, the background is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, in that day, the day of unleavened bread, he says, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me. Tell your son, I do this. I go through this mode of sanctification because of what the Lord did for me. In other words, we do what we do because he did what he did. We go through the mode of having unleavened bread because there was a Passover. Our deliverance happened so quickly. It gave no time for leaven getting in our dough. 
and we live a life of sanctification. What does that mean? We live a life that's honoring to God. We live a life in accordance to the commands of God. We live a life in accordance, if you will, to the rules and the regulations and the desires of God. Why? I do what I do because he did what he did. He saved me. He brought me out. He delivered me. And I walk uprightly before him. Why? I do what I do because he did what he did. I have a feast of unleavened bread because there was a Passover feast that set me free. I walk in tandem and harmony with God. I do what I do because he did what he did. Someone say glory. Really, that, that's the one answer tonight, folks. That's really what it boils down to. I know that people on the opposite side of the question probably wouldn't look at you too kindly to give the answer. But that's really what it boils down to. Amen. If we were going to talk about 1 Corinthians 11 and hair and subjection issues, if we were going to be talking about Deuteronomy, how someone's not supposed to wear that to pertain unto a man, we could go to those scriptures. But the root of it all is this. I do what I do because he did what he did. You want to know why I come to church? I do what I do because he did what he did. You want to know why I clap my hands? I do what I do because he did what he did. You want to know? You want to know why I give? You want to know why I sacrifice? You know what? You want to know why I keep my speech clean? I do what I do because he did what he. That's the one answer. Every other answer has the spirit of that one answer in it. When we quabble over these various answers, it's because we're not sold on the one answer. Oh, God. I don't have to give you a 10-page report with 30 scriptures double-spaced with written explanation between it all. It all boils down. Because he did what he did, I do what I do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, in verse number 6, the apostle Paul said, he said, your glorying is not good. Here's the scripture that I made reference to earlier. Know ye not that a little leaven... Leaveneth the whole lump. Now watch what the scripture says. He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. God, we need some new lumps around here. The old cartoon used to be how many lumps you want before they would hit the character on the head. I'll tell you how many I want. I want them all new. Amen. A new lump as ye are unleavened. He said for even Christ. Someone say Christ. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. What's the next word in verse 8? Is it up there? Don't I have it up there? I'm so sorry. The next verse, the first word of verse number 8 is this. I'm in 1 Corinthians 5 and 8. Therefore, someone say therefore. For even Christ, was verse number seven. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with Odin. He's just switched from Passover to unleavened bread feast. Because he's our Passover. 
then let us keep therefore not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know what he's saying? Because of that, we do this. Because of him, we walk like this. Because of him, we're not, we're not interpreting, we're not pulling in, amen, any old leaven, but we're walking in the day of unleavened bread. It's not corrupted, it's not sinful, but it's honorable to God. I do that because he did this. So we celebrate. This is what he was to teach his son. You hear me? This, Dad, why are we eating unleavened bread for seven days for crying out loud? It's flat. It's got holes in it. Huh? I mean, to put it to the kin so you have a little understanding of what it would be. It's like the wafer that you get at communion time. Yeah, really. What are we eating this for? I would really love some fluffy bread. Huh? Maybe more people would participate in communion if we had fluffy rows. You know, a little sweet roll, maybe some of that cinnamon butter. You hear me? He says we're doing it like this because of what he did. He said you can't endure a little flat bread. When blood was shed of the lamb to put on your house. You're whining over a little flat bread. Preach, you always preach it about this is why we can't do that. That's why we shouldn't go there. You can't handle a little flat bread through the view of the Passover. Maybe you would like to trade spots. And rather than somebody else dying for your sin, you'd like to die for your own. Try that out for some flat bread. We do what we do because he did what he did. Oh, God. A little ornery spirit came through here. I'm casting it out. Amen. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. The apostle Paul speaks to the church there at Philippi. He says, wherefore... My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, someone say work out, your own salvation, oh yeah, let's not explode it, with fear and trembling. (laughs) Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There you have it, Brother McGee. There you have it, bless God. I'm supposed to be working this thing out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. I'm going to work this thing out. Me and him, are, we're, we're going to, I'm going to work my salvation. I don't need anybody else's input. I, we got this. We're going to, with fear and trailing, I'm going to work this thing out. Don't stop at verse 12. Go on to verse 13. For it is God. Everybody say God. God. It is God which worketh in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, whenever the lamb was slain on Calvary and the price of blood was paid, even for the the Israelites in Egypt, in that moment, really before that moment, but particularly in that moment, they were not their own. Someone say amen. They were not their own. 
He says, I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God which worketh in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. Let me state it in this terms. We work out what God worked in. We worked out what God worked in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Being a beneficiary of the blood of the Lamb worked something into my life. Whenever I received the salvation from heaven, when I was redeemed by the Lord, when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, he worked something in. And from now until he comes again, I'm trying to work out what he worked I'm trying to work out what he worked in. You might not see it all yet, but I'm trying to work out the salvation. Someone say glory. See the balance. There's balance. Someone say balance. I rely on God. Amen. I rely on God as the true agent in the sanctification process that I'm in. Sanctification is just a fancy word for being set apart. I rely on God. It's the true agent of setting me apart. But at the same time, I faithfully discharge my personal responsibility in the matter as well. I'm relying on him. In other words, God's doing what he's doing, but I'm trying to do what I can do too. Because if you don't watch yourself, you can get the mindset, well, God's got it all. He'll take care of it all. Then why pray? God knows. You understand what I'm saying? Rely on God. God's got this. God's got all this. Why is there in various places of Scripture? The Bible talks even about the Holy Ghost or even the Lord sanctifying us. But then there's other places of Scripture. The Bible says sanctify yourselves. They're not contradicting one another. We're partners in this. He wants to be worked out what he worked in. Amen. Into our lives. Someone say amen. Lord, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to do this? Just trying to be mindful of the time. There's so many Bible doctrines that surround the whole Passover and the unleavened bread story. For instance, there is the doctrine of judgment. Because we see through the ten plagues that came upon Egypt, the Lord was judging them, particularly their gods and their idolatry and their sin through that. In the whole story of Passover and the unleavened bread, there's a doctrine. This is a fancy word. Don't be afraid of it. It's in the Bible. But nonetheless, there's the doctrine of propitiation, which basically means whatever had to be done in order to appease the anger of God. Amen. Because God doesn't like sin. I don't know if you knew that or not, but God doesn't like sin. He doesn't, he doesn't think kindly upon that. He doesn't wink at it. He don't like sin. Amen. He's a little bit upset as a result of it. Amen. But the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was to appease the anger and the wrath of God. And so we see that doctrine of propitiation even in the slain lambs. Amen. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, there's the doctrine of communion. Amen. That surrounds this whole Passover unleavened bread story. We have, we have the meat, if you will, and we have the bread. We have all of that. And they all shared this, this, this meal together. That's what we do when we have literal communion around here. We take the body and the blood, the bread and the drink, or the bread, bread and the blood. Amen. And we are in a unified effort 
we all taste the same bread and the same fruit of the vine at the same time and it brings that collective unity of sharing as a family community amen concerning these things and in doing so the Bible teaches us as often as we do it do it in remembrance of him we're remembering what he had done for us is that doctrine found there but there's also the doctrine of atonement and that is this that Israel was saved by the blood of a lamb that was offered in their place a substitutionary atonement something died in your place for you and the choice for the Israelites the night of the Passover was cut and dry you either do nothing and let your firstborn be killed or you sacrifice a lamb as a matter of fact not long after Moses returned to Egypt He's been on the backside of the desert for about 40 years. He's been watching over the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. He has that burning bush experience that many of you know of. He hears that voice speak to him. And that voice is engaging him about going back to Egypt and being the deliverer. Going back to Egypt and being a tool, if you will. A, a face, if you will, for God. And the purpose of seeing the people set free from their bondage. And this is what the Lord told him about the firstborn. Watch this here for a moment. Exodus 4 and verse 22. And thou shalt say, this is God speaking unto Moses. He just got, he just made the trip to Egypt. He's on the ground of Egypt now. Where the nation of Israel is incarcerated, so to speak. He says, Moses, God says to Moses, and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh. This is Exodus 4 and verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, Behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. This is before the first plague ever came upon Egypt. God's already talking to him to tell Pharaoh, you either let my firstborn go, which is Israel, or I'm going to take your firstborn. Someone say amen. And so leading up to Israel's deliverance, that Passover night, God's firstborn, Israel, had suffered much rigor, the scripture says. They had suffered many afflictions from unjust taskmasters, that masters that were over them. And if the killing of the sons, amen, of Israel, as they exited the womb, which was one decree from Pharaoh, killed the males as they come from the wombs of the Hebrews, if that wasn't enough, if that didn't work, then perhaps his second decree of throwing the males into the Nile River would take care of things. And yet prior to Moses telling the people to remember the night of their deliverance and those days of unleavened bread that I spoke to you about in Exodus 13, God tells him in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 13 where he spoke about the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verses 1 and 2, God told him, he says, tell him to sanctify the firstborn. And the reason why God says sanctify or set apart the firstborn. He says, you do this. Why, God? Because they're all really mine to begin with. Sanctify them because I saved them. Notice the order. He says, sanctify that which was saved. Because you can't really do it backwards. You can't sanctify something that's not been saved. 
He says, you save it, and then it was sanctified. Passover, then the feast of unleavened bread. The firstborn, according to the word, had the right to inheritance. In this moment, God wasn't showing favoritism because it was the firstborn. But the firstborn in reality was a representative of all offspring. Girls as well, as rest as the rest of the boys that were born second or third or fifth or sometimes twelfth, you know, in line. The firstborn represented the whole family. And God stood, that firstborn stood for the whole family. And so what it comes down to is this. He's letting Israel know. He's letting all those families know. He's saying this, guys, you have been redeemed. And when you've been redeemed, that means a ransom has been paid. And when a ransom is paid for your redemption, that means you are not your own. Our redemption means we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong, someone say, I belong. I belong to God. And as a result of that, our consecration, or if you will, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is connected to our redemption. It's connected to our Passover. Look at it now. The Apostle Paul, New Testament Scripture, and I'll try to wrap up here soon. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. And you can stand with me. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple? Of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know what Paul's telling me? You know what Moses was telling them? You know what every generation, whenever they went through the memorial and the observation of Passover and the unleavened bread, amen, was telling every next generation, they were telling them basically this, the one answer. That everything we do is filtered through our redemption. Everything we do is filtered through our redemption. The commandments that we keep, we do this because he did that. The places that we go, go, filtered through our redemption. The things that we say should be filtered through our redemption. It was the one, the one answer. The one answer. If we would get sowed out to the one answer... If the one answer would be enough. Brother Fred, I'm not saying it's important. It's in God's word. It's there. But if the one answer would be enough, we could skip all this proof texting this and proof texting that. If we'd just be sowed out to the heart of the matter, that we do what we do because he did what he did. But nowadays, we got to have the list of scriptures. We got to take two hour Bible studies that can be answered by the one answer. Hallelujah. Someone say, Hallelujah. Our consecration, our sanctification is really tied to our redemption.
It's tied to our being set free from bondage. It's tied to the fact that I'm no longer my own. We bow our heads all over this place tonight. There may be something, someone maybe even sitting in the sound of my voice tonight that you have been struggling with some questions. You've been struggling with some questions concerning God's word, God's way, God's preference, God's desire. You might be struggling with some questions, hallelujah, in your life about why this or why that or why that way and not that way. Why can I or why shouldn't I? There might be some of those questions that are bombarding your mind or your spirit. Or maybe there's other people, outside influencers, that are bombarding you with some of those questions tonight. I got one answer for you. We do what we do because he did what he did. And I'm asking someone tonight, you can bring all of those myriad questions to the Lord in an altar service here tonight. And allow him one more time to showcase the Passover, to showcase the blood of a lamb, to showcase, if you will, a perfect sacrifice, to showcase things that are coverings upon your household that brought safety and protection, that brought, if you will, a sense of purification to your life. And so we walk from that time forward. It's the words of Christ in your Bibles in Exodus chapter number 20 that he starts this whole process of the Ten Commandments of Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. All these different things that he lists before he ever starts any of that, he starts with this phrase, remember the Lord thy God that brought thee out of Egypt. You know what he's doing? He's saying all of these ten consecration issues I'm presenting to you, he said are tied to the redemption I paid for you. Whew. So as you ponder the things I'm telling you about consecration and living right and uprightly before me and purity and being, be honoring God with your body and spirit, as I talk to you all about that, before I take you to the Feast of Unleavened Bread where no corruption is and all that stuff, let me talk to you about Passover. Because Passover birthed the unleavened bread. Passover segued into a life of sanctification. And so you memorialize and observe that because before there was that, there was a Passover. Before your purity, woo, there was your deliverance into a promise. Ha! And you do what you do because I did what I did. These altars are open tonight. God, touch my heart afresh. Woo! God, touch my heart afresh. Help me, God, to wrap my hands and my mind around the one answer. Help me to wrap my soul. Help me to have the spirit of that one answer that would bathe all the other questions, Lord, that penetrate my mind and my soul. Questions that at times make me doubt doing what I should and ought to do. Help me, Lord, just to be totally in awe of the one answer. I do what I do because he did what he did. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. 
Thank you and have a blessed day.